You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Karen Ely, former financial advisor and amazing money coach. Welcome onto the finance podcast today. Hi, Kate. Thanks for having me. Now, we've done a few episodes together throughout 2023, and you came along to one of our roadshow events, which was fantastic. But kicking off the new year, we have many people new to the podcast, working on their New Year's resolutions, wanting to kickstart their financial goals for the year ahead. So I was wondering in a quick 30-second summary, can you tell us who you are, who you work with, and what you do? So... Uh, I'm a former financial advisor. I was financial advisor for 16 years and I got really curious about why people do what they do with money. And it's not just about the practical side of things, uh, cash flow, budgeting, investing, superannuation. It can be as much about your relationship with money. And more importantly, you have your own relationship with money, but as a couple, you have your own relationship as well. So um, what I do is I help people get on the same page when it comes to money, starting with the inner side of that uh, and then focusing on the more practical things. Wonderful. It's really important conversations to have. And if anyone's new, this is part of our summer series. So we're starting from 10. We're going all the way to one, talking about everything from career tips to exchange traded funds this month. So make sure you start from the beginning. But today's conversation is all about having money conversations with a significant other. And even if that's not really relevant to you at the moment, there's heaps of tips in this episode about just having money conversations and understanding yourself a bit better. But to kick things off, the new year brings up a lot of 
thoughts and feelings about money for people. And I'd be interested to know from your perspective, working with clients and their finances and their emotions, what are some of the conversations that you're hearing around this time of year? Yeah, me personally, I think January is the best time of year. We can reflect on what happened the year before, what we did well, what we perhaps could have done better. And then you get a kind of a reset and that opportunity to start afresh for the new year. So some of the things that couples talk about are, um, you know, if we start with the fun stuff, so like goals, holidays, what are your aspirations? What are some of the things that you can do with the money that you have? Um, and another other conversations might be around that perhaps you're coming into the new year with some debt and it's been a really heavy burden for you. How can we get on top of this, do it better? It might be that um, you know we've never really managed money well. Um, it hasn't really been a big focus, and for this year, we're all about our financial well-being and really focusing on what are some things that we can do to be better with money this year. Mm, it's a really good time. I know we can start working on goals at any point in the year, but there's something about the new year that just feels like a good chance to reset, reflect, and restart. Um, and also, I'd be interested in knowing some of the challenges that you've seen clients facing because it's been a, a different year. 2023 had its own unique set of challenges. And I'd, I'm interested to know what came up for you and your clients. So the biggest one that stands out the most is mortgages. Um, and interest rate rises. It's the consequences have been that for couples that I work with, uh, significant increases to their mortgage payments. Like, where do I find an extra thousand dollars a month or even more? And um, so that has been the biggest challenge um, for couples that I'm seeing. Um, the cost of living in general is just going up more. Like, you can pretty much just add twenty percent onto your living costs. And um, I've had so many conversations where, say, it's the one. Or the other that manages all the money and it might be say say we say um the woman's managing the money she's taking care of all the groceries and all those things and then the husband's saying well where's all of our money going and he doesn't actually understand that the cost of living has gone up so much that it's not that i'm going out and spending more or buying more stuff for the kids or handbags for myself it's just the literally essentials have gone up that much and how are people that you've been working with managing this? Are they just cutting back a lot on things? Are they trying to earn more money? Yeah. So most of them, we tend to naturally start on, let's rein in our finances. What can we stop spending? What areas can we cut back on? And I think when we take that approach, we're becoming really, um, we're shrinking our life. And that can have consequences as well in terms of how we feel about life, how we feel about going to work every day and not actually feeling like we're getting ahead. So I kind of encourage people to look at, well, yes, we can cut back in areas, but where can we actually make money? What's the other side of the um, the profit and loss sheet there? It's like, how can we look at actually making more money? What are the opportunities out there, whether it's, um, you know, hiring out some assets that you've got um, or taking on a second job or doing that side hustle that you've always wanted to do. So um, I do like to get people to focus on both sides, whether it's looking at the expenses, but also looking at the income as well. Mm, so instead of just thinking about what is everything we can cut out, yeah. uh, what can we? how can we add a bit more income? Yeah. And so make things a bit more manageable that way. That's right. Yeah. And 
and, and not everyone's got that opportunity to do that. So where it is really focused on the cutting costs and cutting back on those nice-to-haves and um, the fun stuff, then I very much encourage people to go and look at, well, what other things are important to them? And what I typically find is that the things that are most important to people don't have financial consequences. And sometimes we forget about that. So it could be our health or being out in nature or connecting with our friends or family time. We can do all of those activities without having a financial cost attached to it. But sometimes when we're in a place of stress and everything feels really heavy, we don't have that space to actually think about, well, how can we just really have a great day or a great week anyway without those financial costs attached to them? Yeah. And all the research shows money is one of those biggest places of conflict in relationships, especially where do you see that popping up? Like, is it conflict about spending? Is it conflict about goals? Is there any themes you see regularly? So there's a couple of main themes. So one does come around to spending. So one person thinks that the other person spends too much. And then on the converse, it's around being too vigilant around saving, just putting all the money away and not actually having any fun with money. Um, so they're the two main ones. And then also about of goals as well. So um, some people feel that money should be spent on experiences and doing fun things, whereas um, someone else might think, well, I'd, I prefer the material things and having assets there, physical, tangible things. So sometimes there's quite often a misalignment around that. The other thing might be a conflict that I see between couples is that one's really focused on earning money and it's so important to them to have a high income. Well, the other person in the couple is like, I just want to spend time with you and let's create some fun memories together and have quality time together. The money doesn't matter to me as much as you do. Mm. And you often don't realise that until you start having those conversations about what your values are, your priorities. And I know you've spoken to me in the past, but working out what your money story is, are you able to explain what a money story is if anyone is new to that idea? Yeah, okay, I'd love to. So we all have a money story. And it's basically our own narrative and how we experience money growing up. So most of the way that we are with money today and those behaviours that we're talking about before, overworking, overspending, oversaving, all of those patterns and behaviours are created between the ages of 2 and 12. So your money story is an exercise we actually go back and reflect on. What was life like for me growing up? So was money spoken about? Was um, money the source of disagreements and arguments? Was there a lot of money? Was there not much money? Did you see your parents work really hard for money? Or did money just come easily? Was there a lot of judgment around money by other family members, maybe grandparents or aunties or uncles? And it's about going through and exploring what was your experience early with money because that has deeply informed that the way that you manage your money today and most of us don't actually understand or have an awareness around where our patterns and behaviours were formed. And we need to have that because otherwise we can't make changes. Like we might start the new year with, I'm just going to do money different. I'm going to be different with it. I'm going to be better with it this year. I think year. we've all set one of those goals. <laughs> I want to be better with money That's in 2024. Right. Yeah, exactly. But unless you actually know the origin of where those patterns and behaviours come from around your money, it's very hard to change. But once you have that awareness and going through and unpacking and, and just physically writing out your money story, what was money like? What was my three earliest money memories and how have they impacted me today? And because those memories get formed at a really young age and 
as an eight or nine year old, we don't have the resources to actually um, make changes or support ourselves. We're reliant on our parents. Like we, we can't earn our own money. We don't have that autonomy when it comes to our finances. So we rely on our adults and sometimes they don't have the capacity to give us what we needed as children. So it's about as an adult, Whilst your eight-year-old self is running and making all your financial decisions, it's about looking at what you experience and saying, yeah, that was really tough for me or I do this today, I get myself in debt because of this or I'd like to go shopping to feel better because those patterns and behaviours were created early on. And then it's about recognising that and saying, hey, I'm a grown adult now, I've got all of the resources and abilities that I need or if I don't have them, I'm old enough that I can make them now myself. And then that's when you can create the change. So for someone listening who hasn't potentially thought about their money story and their relationship with money growing up, it could be as simple as getting out a piece of paper, opening a notebook, opening a Google Doc, and just over the next week or so, putting all the memories that they have about their finances, how their parents talked about money, how their friends and their siblings engage with them with financial topics growing up. I think in the past you've talked about pocket money and maybe... Did you get to have lunch money at school and things like that? Did you get new things? Did you go on holidays? Did you have to do some chores? Like anything you think of, just writing all of that down to start uncovering your own relationship with money. And is this something you recommend people doing before having a conversation with your partner about money? Absolutely, because what I know to be true is that we will attract a partner to us that we think are going to solve all of our problems. Like all of those things that we missed out on as children, we are looking for them in our partner. And that is a recipe for disaster. So we really need to be our own rescue first. And so by actually going through and writing out your money story, and it might be as simple just starting with what are the three most significant memories that I've I recall about money. And I know that if you can recall something as vividly as it's happening today, there was a lot of emotion attached to that experience that you had. And when we have that, they they um, in their neural pathways, they kind of fire and wire and it can deeply, deeply impact us. So even if you can just start with a couple and if you do this exercise and you find that I just don't remember anything about money, um, just be kind with yourself and um, try it again. And if it's nothing's coming, just leave it a day or two and then just come back at it again. And it might be if you can't think of anything specific about money, think about your bedroom. What was that like? Think of other things, your friends at school and kind of start from there. Because for some of us, we might have had some really challenging experiences around money and our brain is really smart and it will just lock that down and um, it'll block that from our memory. So that does make it a bit harder. But going through your story um, is so important. Yes. So once we've done that exercise and we feel like we better understand ourselves and our current relationship with money, we might be ready to have a conversation with our significant other about money because we might be in the new year, we're thinking about our goals, but also thinking, well, how are we going to reach those goals together? Or maybe we want to buy a house together or relocate, or maybe I want to take some time off work to study. How do we start this process, especially if we don't have the language and we've never had money conversations with that person aside from maybe who pays for X before? Mm. I think it's also really important to, when you say we don't have those money conversations, I don't think we have 
any conversations on any topic that well, really, because I don't know about you, but when I went to school, there wasn't a subject on how to communicate. <laughs> nope. And so... That, how to write an essay on yeah, Wuthering Heights. That, yeah. That was included, but... <laughs> yep, I had that lesson too. <laughs> Not how to have hard conversations. Yeah, that's right. Um, and actually really open and honest. I call them microscopic truth conversations mm-hmm. where because most of us are on that surface level we're not really diving, diving down deep and with our money there's so many deep um, conversations and emotions that we have around that so to be able to do that first yourself and then it's about well how do I start initiating these conversations with my partner but you really need to be sure about yourself and your relationship with money what does money mean to you what's important about it what's not important about it And so when you're there, then it's about having those conversations and feeling confident to be able to do that in your own knowledge about your own money story. Yeah, I think that's important. Otherwise, you might end up projecting something on the other person or coming to the wrong conclusion. You're always spending money and you're not saving or things like that. And I know you've got a a process to help us kick off this conversation. So where should we start? So we've got um, we've got seven ways to initiate money conversations. So let's go through them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think the first way that you can initiate a money conversation is to actually just ask. So to say, hey, Kate, um, sometime in the next week or so, I'd really like to have a chat with you about our cash flow, or um, our credit cards, or our retirement planning. Um, when would be a really good time for you to do that? I might go, why? Why do you want to talk about this? (laughs) (laughs) Which then leads into my next way to initiate the conversation. So when you're coming to have this conversation, be really clear about your intentions as to why you want to have that conversation. And so if we use the cash flow one, it might be, well, I feel like things are really tight or we, uh, we, we had X amount in our bank account six months ago and it's just dwindling down a little bit and it's causing me a bit of anxiety and so I want it to get back up to where it was because I just don't feel financially safe. So that is your intention or your why around that. So be really clear on the reason that you want to have that conversation and articulate that with your partner but make it about you not the other person. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're spending more and it's really giving me anxiety. It's about, no, don't even go there. It's about, I've noticed that our bank account is dwindling and it's causing me a little bit of discomfort. So I just like to have a conversation with you about that. Okay. So the first thing, we've got to do it in advance and not spring it on the person, especially if we want to both have time to prepare and think about it and not suddenly be walking in the park and suddenly Let's talk about superannuation. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the thing. So quite often money conversations between a couple, it's like a drive-by comment. It's like, and then we walk off out the room and it's just leaving another person. You bought something on Amazon again. (laughs) It's like, right, I roll and you're out the door. So, yeah, it is very much around let's just make a time and – we could, and if you know that the other person is really avoidant when it comes to having conversations like, how can we do something fun during or maybe after? It's like, yeah, let's have a conversation about money. And then afterwards, we're going to go down to the beach for a nice walk or something mm. like that. Okay. So putting time in advance, that's our first step. So giving the person advance warning for this. And the second one is actually thinking about, well, why is it important to you to have this conversation? Maybe you're really excited about setting some goals together or you're feeling a bit stressed. So articulating what you're feeling. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What about number three? So number three um, is about goals. So it might go along the lines of um, this year, like I'd really like to achieve this. Um, And I'd love to have a conversation with you about what would you like to do? Like, where would you like to be by the end of this year? Um, How do you see that playing out? Um, I'd love to, whatever your goals are, support you with that. How can we work together as a team for you to achieve that Mm. and for us to have uh, a couple's goal as well? So you can have your own individual goals, but then a couple's goal and really come to the conversation with a really supportive, encouraging. It's like, hey, you worked really hard last year and I didn't really see you enjoying money. Like I'd really love for you to set a goal that I can help support you through this year to achieve. Okay. What does that look like? Yeah, so looking at how you can support each other's individual goals Mm. but also how you can work together on a joint goal and you might contribute different things to that joint goal. Yeah, absolutely. So we all come from different approaches and see the world a different way. So, um, yeah, being able to get um, different perspectives can be really helpful and sometimes – what I see with couples is one person might be really talented and have great abilities, but their own confidence or self-trust just isn't there. And our partner is the best person to see the best things in ourselves and help us flourish as an individual. Make you greater. Yeah, make you greater. What about number four? So number four, I think this is a really important one. Um, and it's a question that you might just want to let your partner ponder on for a while. But um It's about what is your greatest fear, Kate, when it comes to money? That's a big one. Yeah. And the reason that we want to understand our partner's fears is that quite often it can drive a lot of our behaviours. And if we don't know what it is, it's really hard to address. And it's just that underlying thing. So to be able to bring it out into the open and acknowledge it. So if I asked you, Kate, you know, what's your greatest fear when it comes to finances and money? I'd probably say something like not having control. Oh, Kate, what do you mean not having control? Like that's just, you know, you're all over it. <laughs> but what I've done then is I've just discounted or diminished your fear. Okay. And that is the complete, we want to come from a, a completely different way. We want to say, Kate, like, yeah, I really acknowledge that that, um, is a thing for you not having that control and just sitting with it for a while. Mm. I can imagine that if you ask someone what their greatest fear is about money, they probably wouldn't have a, a quick answer. No. It would probably come out, there would be a big pause or it yeah. would come out in a jumble of many different paragraphs and yeah. experiences. Yeah, and and that's why I said this might this question might need some time to ponder. So it's about asking. It's like you don't have to answer me now but... I would love for you to spend some time thinking, what are your biggest fears when it comes to money? And, you know, I always think when you're asking someone a question, you should come prepared with your own response. So if they say, well, I'm not sure, what's your greatest fear? And so (laughs) then you can be open and honest and vulnerable and share that fear with your partner. So actually, before you ask a question, what's what's my greatest fear? My greatest fear is that, we're not, not going to have enough money at retirement. I'm really worried about that. Mm. How does knowing your partner's fears around money help inform the way you interact together? Mm. 
Well, firstly, it's about if we are so focused on our fear, it's all that we see. So I like to take clients through a process where they have a look at the fear. And quite often, fear stands for false evidence appearing real. It's got an acronym. It's got an acronym. Fear, false evidence appearing real. And the way that our brain is designed, it's designed to keep us safe, to keep us out of danger. So it's constantly looking for threats and fears. And so we're hardwired to focus on the fears. So an exercise that you can do is like write out your fear. My fear is that lack of control. And so then what you want to do is you want to move into a different part of your brain and workshop and say, well, what are some other scenarios? What are some other possibilities of not having control Maybe I can have control. Maybe I um, check my bank account every day and I can see what's going on. Maybe I'm putting money aside for certain things for emergency funds. Um, What are some other scenarios other than not having control? Mm. So we want to move into that part of our brain and then we want to take it one step further and ask ourselves, what do we hope will happen? And that's when we move into a really creative part of our brain because we can live in two modes, Kate. We can live in survival or creation you can't be in both and so when we're focused on our fears we're living in survival mode and by asking the question what do i hope will happen then we're moving into creativity it's just accessing a different part of our brain and i think this is a beautiful exercise that a couple can go through uh, because we can't often see um, other possibilities when we're so focused on what we're afraid of yeah, I really like that because knowing each other's fears with money, you can better understand where you're coming from and probably some of these link back to our money story and growing up our childhood experiences. But then like things like if you're scared that you don't have enough in the bank account, well, you can work with each other to make sure you both feel really comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and, and I, I always ask clients, like, what amount of money in the bank will make you feel safe and secure? And I was like, oh, I've never thought of that. And so that might be a goal, that having that much, yeah. Mm. And sometimes the amount that they say is enough to keep me safe and secure, um, they've got double, triple, quadruple that in there. It's like, well, then you've got permission to what else can you do to make that money work for you? Yeah, I've seen in the past people who have one person's really wanted to invest and one person's been a bit more nervous and apprehensive about it after talking about it, they've decided to put a larger amount in the bank account and not invest as much money, but that helped make them both feel really comfortable about investing what they did decide. And they could think longer term about that because the other person was super comfortable knowing, okay, I've got this much cash in the bank if anything goes wrong. Yeah, that's right. And I see that scenario playing out a lot too. And I see it playing out, um, you know, not just with money in the bank account, but with our retirement savings. So you might have one couple that's like, I really want to take a bit more risk because I know that over the long term, over 20 years, our super is going to grow further. And then the other person will be like, no, I just want to keep it safe and secure. So it's like, okay, you have your superannuation in a more conservative asset mix and then your partner have that more aggressive one. And then in the end, it's kind of balancing each other out, but you're getting to invest the way that you want to invest. But the person that is worried about that safety and security knows that they've got that nest egg there too. Because mm. what looks like the perfect financial plan on paper often doesn't work in reality. And if you're bringing two people with very different experiences, goals, fears 
together, well, maybe you can't just do the perfect plan on paper. You have to adjust it so it suits both of you. Absolutely. So money as a concept is a really rational, logical thing. But us humans are emotional, (laughs) irrational beings. So it's about how do we combine the two of those together? Okay. So we're asking about, we're talking about fears, which may be quite a hard conversation to have and may take time. And we're also talking about what do we hope for the future and thinking more creatively about what we could do together in the future. Where are we up to? Are we up to number five now? Yeah, I think we're up to number five. All right. Uh, This one relates to um, a bit about your money story, um, asking your partner, how do you see money? Because money's just a medium of exchange, but we all attach our own meaning to money. So by initiating a conversation, I'm just curious, um, how do you see money? Ooh, I think money, money gives me choices. Money's yeah. fun. I get to do travel and activities with it. Uh, and yeah, that kind of makes a lot of sense for me, Kate, because I see the way that you use your money and you do do it that way. But then your partner might be there. The way that they see money is money safety. Mm. And so for me, money security. It's about having money in the bank and I'm happy to miss out on going on holidays and experiences because it's more important that we've got that safety there. And so then it's about... Yeah, just really understanding the way that we see it, but then acknowledging that um, our partner may see it a bit differently and what's some compromise where we can come into the middle uh, and create the best of both worlds. I like that. I like that. Um, And what about number six? So I think this one is around having a conversation where We take the heat off each other and just each other reflect of of all the people that we know in our life, either in our past or currently, let's have a chat about who we think manages money really well and does well with money and what is it about them that we admire or we'd like to learn more about. And then conversely, who in our life do we observe and see that just manages really poorly with money? And what does that mean to us Mm. and how does that impact us? Yeah, that's an interesting one because most of us would look at people in our lives around us and even if we don't say anything, we're thinking, oh, I like this about them or I don't like this about them or why did they just spend that money on X expensive item? That seems like a waste. Yeah, We learn a lot about ourselves in that process. We do. We learn a lot about ourselves and we learn a lot about our partner Um, because there can be a lot of judgment around that. And so when you just ask, you know, why why did they buy that? Like, that was so stupid. And then my response will be like, okay, Kate, tell me more about that. Mm, Yeah. Why was it stupid that they spent 20 grand on a jet ski? Yeah. So they bought the jet ski. So let's have that conversation. And then you can kind of get to priorities and values that's right yeah exactly so um but it's not about the other person it's about someone else in their life and that can just give you so many insights to what they see money should be used for and shouldn't be used for that's probably a good starting point if someone hasn't really worked out what's important to them and their Mm. own financial values or maybe they're not in a position to articulate that 
we're very good at sort of judging people yeah, around my finger pointy. So. <laughs> you said judge it with the finger point going on. <laughs> so um, using that as a helpful tool to learn from each other and then you can slowly turn from looking externally and then look internally once you're at that point. That's right. So that's looking on the who do we not want to be like. Yeah. And then the other part of it is who do we aspire to be like? Who do we really admire when it comes to money? What are their traits and attributes what, do they must, what must do they tell themselves? What kind of things must they do in order to achieve the financial results that they've got? Or you look at them as a couple and they're just on the same page and aligned. What do they do differently that we could model? Yeah, and maybe they'd be even open to talking about it with you. Mm. You could, I don't know, depends on the relationship you have with them, but you could ask them how do you have money conversations um, or how do you talk about your goals and plan for the future together? Some people would be open to having that conversation. Not everyone would be, but it, it could be worth asking. Yeah, I, th- I think that is a great idea because um, it's sharing knowledge and, and I think if you come to it with like we are a really – really admire the way that you are and you seem to have it all going on like what's your secret to success it's kind of like a good marriage or or relationship it's like tell me like how do you guys make it work yeah. <laughs> um, and the answer no- always communication, communication. to those couples that you know, they, when they bring them up on stage and they've been married for 50 years yeah. communication communication and, and it's like oh you and I just missed the boat on that at school didn't we <laughs> <laughs> alright that is a fantastic one I think that's really helpful and even with friends and family over the summer mm. just hearing about how they talk about how other people were spending or how they're making decisions you can learn a lot about that person through that yeah and and because you know the thing about money is we see externally if you kind of think of like an iceberg like you see the top of it above the water level but under the surface there's so much more and we tend to look at other people's financial circumstances or what they have or what they've achieved without knowing what's underneath the water sometimes it could be hard work or they've just been really clever about it or sometimes they've got those things through debt and and there's quite a lot of darkness under there so but we make certain assumptions yeah about that we're very good at making assumptions Mm. and coming to conclusions that not aren't necessarily true especially with money you really just don't know where people are coming from where they've started um if they had a leg up a leg down if they are in debt and things like that because we don't have those conversations you don't just come with a a sign over your head with your financial status. Yeah. So um, sometimes you might make the wrong assumption and a family member that you think's doing well is actually struggling. Yeah, that's right. And it's about giving permission to have those conversations and create a safe space. And I think with every one of these ways to start a conversation, your intention should be to create a safe space, a judgment-free zone where you are just curious and compassionate rather than that finger pointing and why did you do to that and the judgment. Yeah. Yeah. What's the final final way to bring us home? So my last one, number seven, is asking your partner the question, if we won $10 million tomorrow, what would you do with it? How would our life be or you want your life to be if we suddenly had $10 million? I feel like a lot of people would probably just say, we'll pay off the mortgage or we'll buy the dream house. Yep. And then after you've done that with whatever's left over, what are you doing with that money? Pay for the dream house, like keeping it upkeep. 
I don't know, that's a very boring answer, Karen. Um, <laughs> I should go on an adventure. I'll take the whole family on a big holiday. And what about it is that's important to you about taking the family on a holiday? Experiences, shared memories together. Um, it's just really fun to take people on holidays. Mm. So is there any stop? anything stopping us from doing that now? having some quality time carved out. It may not be a luxury cruise, but could it be somewhere that we could go on a holiday? Could it even be camping that costs bugger all, but it's still an experience, it's still time away together. So the whole purpose of asking that $10 million question is normally when you break it right down, it comes back to our values and what are the most important things to us. And I can almost guarantee every one of those does not have financial consequences. So that answer, then you can distill, like if you keep yep. asking why, yep. why, why, yep. why, mm -hmm. you can distill down to we just want fun experiences with the family. Yeah. And what that, does that mean to you? That could yeah. just mean a huge family barbecue in the park or booking five different slots in the calendar this year that you know you've got gatherings coming up with the mm. family or maybe your goal is to save up enough so at the end of the year you book an Airbnb for a week and all the family can come and mm. be in one place. Yeah, that's right. And other times it might be around, I just want to give to others. Like I, I see that one as a, I just want to be able to give back more. It's like, well, what's stopping you from doing that this year anyway? It doesn't need to be money. Perhaps you've got some time that you can give or a skill that you can volunteer or um, donate blood, as your example that we are talking about earlier. So it always comes down to we we think we, we fall into the trap of, when I've got more money, then I'll be happy or my life will be better. But we can make it better straight away. I love this. Okay, so this is another great question that you can ask your partner, but you can probably also ask your friends and family this one and just don't stop at the first answer. Yep. Well, why do you want to give $10 million to yeah, charity? Yeah, or, tell or, me more about that. Yeah. Can you give me some examples? What, does, what would that mean to you if you were able to do that? Um, I think why as a question is fine for this. Tell me why, tell me why. But we need to be really mindful when we use why with our partner or anyone because what do you think when you start a question with why? Why did you do this or why did you buy that or why are you saving so much or why are you taking on an extra job? How does that feel? How does that land yeah. for you when I ask that? There's a bit more of a tone to it. There's a tone like, and a judgment to yeah. it. And that's the one thing we want to avoid with money conversations. Okay. So, so tell me more exactly. about this. Yeah. Potentially a better way. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Could you explain that for me? I'd like to understand this better. Could you give me an example? So any way that I can, I want to avoid using the why um, question. And, um, and I do that with my kids too. It's like, <laughs> Why did you leave the dishes in the sink? Or why can't you just turn the light off? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Karen, how can I ask this in a better way that's not going to be so judgmental? And it kind of forces you to be a bit more creative with your questions. Yeah, and sometimes um, just taking that time to pause before you immediately respond. Mm -hmm. We often don't need to respond as quickly as we think in our head. We can take a moment to pause and just think, how am I starting that next question and how might it land, especially in conversations that are quite sensitive and often come with a lot of feelings of shame and guilt when we're talking about money? Mm, absolutely, because we can either choose to react or respond. And I love that it's like you just pause for a minute and I pause and I'll take a deep breath because sometimes my body is just so 
annoyed or frustrated or, you know, what what's going on? And so it's like, okay, Karen, I can feel it in my body. Take a deep breath in, that pause, and breathe out, and now ask a question. <laughs> Amazing. Are you able to, because I don't have the seven steps in front of me, are you able to keep quickly give us a summary so we can just sort of bring everything we've just talked about together? Absolutely. So the first one is um, giving notice. So if we're feeling uncomfortable about having a conversation, give them notice so they've got time to prepare. So they've got space there that they can really think about their responses or maybe they need to do some research first. So we want to give them notice. Secondly, we want to express our intentions. So what is the purpose of having this conversation with my partner and what is the outcome I'd like to achieve? So being really clear about that. The third one is discussing shared goals. So that's that fun part, how we can really dream and have our own goals as individuals, but then our own goals as a couple. The next one is around unpacking and exploring our financial fears. So what are those underlying, sometimes invisible to us, drivers that are making all of our financial decisions or behaviours, so understanding what they are. The next one is asking that question around, how do you see money? What's your perspective of the world when it comes to money? Wonderful. Well, Karen, I have learned so much in this conversation, (laughs) especially about uh, not saying why all the time when it comes to money conversations because of the weight with that statement and also just being a bit more curious. And I think when I'm having conversations with friends and family this month, just coming at with a more curious approach, I think will be really helpful. But you've shared some fantastic conversation starters with us today. We'll have them in the show notes as well. So if anyone needs a written down version, because sometimes you just want to have something to refer to, you can get them there. But Karen, if people want to learn more about you, get in touch for coaching, where should they head to? They can find me on LinkedIn or they can come to my website, womentalkingfinance.com.au. I don't want the men out there to think that I only coach um, females because um, I coach men one-to-one, but mainly couples as well. So come together. So yeah, womentalkingfinance.com.au. Well, Karen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You've shared so many helpful conversation starters that we can use with our partner, with our friends and family to make 2024 the year that we finally start having really good, meaningful conversations about money and spreading the word with our friends and family. My absolute pleasure. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. 
Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.